Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Flourish FM. In this episode, Nick and I talk to Dre Baldwin. Dre is an author, entrepreneur, business coach, and a former professional athlete. After he graduated, he played professional basketball internationally for nine years across eight countries. In five years, he went from his high school's team's bench to a nine-year professional basketball career. At the same time, he built a content publishing empire. He's been blogging since 2005 and publishing videos to YouTube starting in 2006. And since then, he's published over 8,000 videos and his content's been viewed over 73 million times. He's a daily work on your game podcast, which has over 4 million listeners. And he's given four TEDx talks and authored several books, including Work on Your Game, Use the Pro-Athlete Mindset to Dominate Your Game in Business, Sports and Life, which he published in 2019 and is the focus of much of our conversation today. Nick, what did you enjoy most about this conversation? I think Dre did a really nice job of taking what oftentimes for us is is really highly academic and making it really practical. Like it was obvious chatting with him. He's a personal development junkie, right? A nerd in, in a really great way, but he doesn't just consume. He has applied it and he's really lived it. And I think his work really just globally speaking, tries to share those experiences and the science with the people he works with. So it was good to just talk about some terms and, and some concepts that I think have come come up in previous episodes, but in slightly different ways, a little bit different language and some different practical action steps and takeaways. Absolutely. So this, everyone, is our conversation with Dre Baldwin. Hope you love it. Hey, gentlemen. Good morning. Hey, Dre. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you two doing? Good. Good. Where are you located? I'm in Miami. Nice. Beautiful. Yeah. Where are you two at? John and Nick. John's in London. John's a lot. You can tell oh, right. you here now. Yeah, John's a Brit. I happen yeah. to be in Washington State at the moment. My wife and I are digital nomads, so we bounce around. But born and raised Michigander. So, which I want. I want. I was curious about ball because I saw you say played at Penn State Altoona, and I'm a Michigan State grad. But are you from Pennsylvania? Yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah. So we own a place on 13th and Bainbridge. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I used to work yeah. around that area in uh, Society Hill. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Are you from the from the city? Yeah, I'm from Mount Airy. Okay, cool. Nice, man. Yeah, yeah. I kind of wonder what I saw the Penn State piece. So, yeah, we like Philly. It's a nice city. It's cool. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have Miami's weather, but. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I, I spent 12 years in LA and it doesn't have that weather either. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Cool, man. Well, it's good to connect with you. Thanks for making the time. Of course. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for sending this, Dre. Love this. Oh, yeah, guys, you got it. I read it in Portugal last week actually okay it was a fascinating fun read really enjoyed it took a lot from it learned good thank you but you could get through it relatively quickly sounds like i got absorbed yeah i spent the whole yeah. um flight out there reading it a couple of nice evenings reading it, it was yeah it was, it was absorbing and i yeah i read through it very quickly which in my view is a sign of a great book when you can't you know put it down absolutely i took a lot of practical strategies from it like in my workout this morning i was, I was at this intense fitness class and i was thinking of the the section you book on the trumpet song, like mm-hmm. what's your finale song? What's your like victory song? That's it. And your story of right. Alexander the Great trying to like get that yeah. extra bit of energy when it's the end and you want to just turn down the treadmill or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Let's kick things off. We're going to talk, I think, a lot about mindset, the mental game, that sort of thing. But these generally are tools, right? Or pathways towards, I think, a, a more significant outcome or, or maybe ongoing process, which we, we think about as flourishing or thriving or whatever that might be. And that's probably a, a nice place to start. How might you think about or define a term like thriving, crushing it, flourishing, right? And what are some of the key principles to that? 
the way that I would define a phrase like thriving or flourishing is really just being in that that flow, being in that flow state. And some people talk about that in psychology or in sports. Some people call it being in the zone is just getting into that space where you're you know what you're doing to the point that and you're doing it to the point that you don't have to consciously think about it. It's just kind of body over mind almost. The body takes over and your mind is not even really thinking. The mind is there, but it's kind of on autopilot and everything just flows naturally. And that can last in the period of, you know, running 45 minutes in a 10K or it can last over the course of several weeks or months unless we do something to break that momentum, to break that inertia. So that's the way I would define it. I want to double click. You mentioned how long lasting it is. This is always an interesting, I think, area of conversation. And for context, John and I have a, a pretty rich history with coaching and teaching and talking about flow. So we're happy to nerd out on it. Do you think it's the word we use a lot is oscillate, right? Do you think somebody can be in a like a perpetual state, let's say of bliss or euphoria or flow or flourishing, or are there inevitable sort of cycles and up and downs that we have to kind of surf? No, I think it's actually a little bit of both. Nick, I think it's both. So someone can get into that state and they can kind of be in that state. It's like somebody can, a great athlete, they spend the off season getting themselves in the right shape. That whole season, they can be in kind of a zone that entire season. They just have their best season ever of their career because they prepared themselves and they got in, themselves into that state to do what they needed to do. Now, could there be periods during the season, maybe days when they don't feel so great? Or times when the shot's not falling the way it's supposed to or whatever sport they're playing. They're not you know, hitting the ball in golf the way they want to. Sure. But if they've done the work ahead of time, their bad day is still better than most people's good day. Their bad day might be better than their own past good days. So it's actually a little bit of both of those at the same time. And then because of the level that they prepared themselves for, even when they go down, they can get right back up. Yeah, it's it's super interesting because I think in the psychological world, you distinguish between flow and a clutch state. And that's what came to mind when you mentioned that like a clutch state is doesn't necessarily matter how you feel. It might not be euphoric, but you get it done anyway. And this idea of just sort of the automaticity or the putting in the work beforehand, right? So that you're bottoming out those those valleys are still higher than most people's peaks. And so then I go to like your sport and I think about who we consider some of the most clutch players of all time. They tend to be guys that are like pretty process obsessed, like, you know, the Kobe's, the LeBron's, the Jordan's, like always putting in the work, right? Always preparing themselves in advance. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you look at those players, if you go deep into their stories, those superstar players, because they're the ones whose stories get told. Sure. They do a lot of preparatory work ahead of time to be ready to perform at that level. So they're doing a whole lot of stuff you know, in the dark, as they said, before you know, the work that they do and the accolades come out in the light. So yes, it's the structure that leads to the discipline. That high level performance is not just a mentally telling yourself to do it and making right. yourself do it. Right. You can do that at times, but that's not sustainable over a long period of time. Over a long period of time is the structure and the system that you put in place that allows that performance to be at a high level and stay at that high level. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Awesome. That's a wonderful segue, Dre, into key theme we want to discuss today. You just mentioned the work and the, the stuff you've got to put into action to, to be getting the work done. Of course, mm -hmm. one of a key area of your work, and we're seeing it on, on the wall behind you there in your work in work like the workbook is work on your game. As far as I say, you've published many books. This is your most recent book, right? Work on your game. It is my most recent book is The Third Day. So there's a chapter in Work oh. on Your Game called The Third Day. And it's basically a sub topic 
of work on your game, but work on your game is the one that most encompasses the entire philosophy. That's why I sent you that book. So okay, <laughs> but they're all evergreen. Whatever book you read, doesn't matter what order. Yeah. All right. Well, um, love reading this. Really interesting book. Lots of excellent practical takeaways to take away. And I'm going to check out the day as well now. Thank you. But let's. So in working your game, you put forward four principles that you argue apply to all professions, tasks, hobbies for any person of any age to achieve much greater levels of success in our professional and personal lives. And these four principles are discipline, confidence, mental toughness, and personal initiative. So I mean, the segue into this was you described the, the background work people are doing. And I take it this is kind of your philosophy of the background work someone needs to do to perform at their best and fulfill their true potential. So can you describe what you mean by each of these four principles and why they're so important? Sure. So I'll get a, the short version. I'm sure we can dive into these. But where they came from was when I you know, first came out on the internet, so to speak, I was making basketball content for basketball players. So it was just me on the basketball court doing drills and workouts and just showing basketball players how I practiced. And it wasn't because I had this brilliant idea to be an influencer before there were influencers. I wish I was that smart. But I was just putting the material out because I had put a video up on YouTube just for safekeeping as I heard of YouTube. And I've always been kind of an internet geek. And I just put the video up there. And then people who played basketball found it and they were leaving comments. So I just start putting all my workouts on YouTube because these players were just asking, hey, can you make a video about this, this and this? So I just start putting my workouts up because I already had a camera. So I said, it doesn't cost me anything. Just put the workouts on the internet. So I started doing that. And the players after a few years, they started asking questions about my approach because they just noticed I was really consistent putting content online. And this is like the first decade of the century, in the 2000s, from 2005 to about 2010. So it wasn't a normal thing to just put content on the internet for free at that time. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was there, but most people were, if you were on the internet, you were consuming, you were not producing. Nowadays, everybody's producing something, right? Back then, people were mostly consuming. So they were surprised, like, who's this random guy? We never heard of him. He looks like looks like he can play, but we have no idea why he's putting his content on the internet every day for free. So they just asked me, what keeps you coming to the gym every day to work out? Because a lot of the workout videos, they would be me in an empty gym here in Miami, actually not far from where I am right now. I was just being in the gym by myself working out because this would be in between my playing jobs professionally. And then they would ask. And then when they found out a little bit about my background, I only played one year of high school basketball. I walked on to play Division three college ball and then hustled my way into pro basketball. They asked, well, how do you get the confidence to take the stuff you're doing there, Dre, in that empty gym? And how do you apply it in the game when everybody's watching and there was, quote unquote, more pressure? How do you take that same performance and translate it from one area to the other? So they, that's where I started talking about. So the first level, showing up every day, I started talking about discipline. Then when it came to the how do you translate the practice performance to the game performance, I started talking confidence. Then the next question was, well, we now we know your background. You know, one year high school, walked on in college at a D3, which is most D3 athletes don't play pro sports. And then you had to hustle your way into pro ball. And even at the time, Mind you, they're watching me in this empty gym in Miami. Like, you're a pro ball player. Why are you in an empty gym in Miami, right? Why aren't you playing pro somewhere? So I'm like, I'm in between jobs. I'm waiting for the phone to ring. I'm waiting for my agent to call me with an opportunity. So this is the same way that an actor or an actress waits for that next call. Basketball players, football players, baseball, we had the same challenge. So I was waiting for that next call to come in. So they would ask, you know, what keeps you going? You know, what keeps you positive and believing that something's going to happen when right now literally nothing is happening? That led me to talking about mental toughness. And then the last one was now the Internet was starting to be a thing. As the years went on, it was starting to become more of a thing that, OK, now we don't have to just watch people on the Internet. I can actually 
this is the consumer speaking, I can get in the game. I can actually do something on the internet. And now people were noticing, oh, being on the internet can actually be a job in itself. Because in 2007, if you said, hey, I'm a, I'm a blogger, all right, what do people think about you? Right? You're a, a bum who needs to you know, get out of your mom's <laughs> basement and you know, take a shower and get a real job, right? But now a person who was on the internet and they did everything on the internet, now you're the coolest person in the room, right? So my sister, for example, she has three kids who are, I have one child, he's not even a year old, but she has three kids who are older teens. And my niece says she wants to be a YouTuber when she grows up, right? When we were kids, <laughs> what do we want to be? We wanted to be firefighters and police officers yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, president and at football player. But yeah. now they want to be YouTubers. Now that's a thing. So at that point, I had a nice little buzz to my name because I was like the first basketball internet guy. I basically started that. So now these ball players are seeing that and they're like, okay, well, look, maybe I might not be good enough to make it to playing college. Maybe I won't make it to the NBA, but I could be a YouTuber. I can make money just being a YouTuber. I don't have to play on a team. I don't have to fit within any team structure. I can just make YouTube videos and be funny and entertaining. And I can actually make a living doing this. So they, when they saw me doing it, they asked, well, Dre, how do I get started getting known on the internet? Because that became basically a different lane to where you could take the thing that you like to do, but you didn't have to go through the traditional gatekeepers to make it happen. The same way that a podcaster doesn't have to get a, a deal at a radio company, right? You can just start your podcast from your living room, right? So it was the same thing. It was just a parallel with the visuals, TV. So that is what led me to talking about personal initiative. How do you get started getting yourself out there in any space? And this was also ballplayers who were asking, how can I play overseas? Because a lot of ballplayers understand by a certain point, by about age 16, 17, players can see the writing on the wall if they're going to get a, a shot at making it to the NBA because there are only about 450 jobs in the NBA. But there are another four to 5,000 jobs internationally for an American-born basketball player. Challenges, a lot of people have no idea where to begin, how to get started. So when they looked at me, all right, D3 player, had to hustle his way into the pros. Okay, well, if he could do it, maybe I can do it. So they just want to know, how do I get started doing something on the internet and in the business world and the basketball world? Because at this point, I was selling programs and things like that. So they saw I was kind of doing all the stuff that they wanted to do. And I hadn't done any of it through the traditional paths. So when they saw that, they said, all right, maybe I can do something like what this guy's doing. So that led me to talking personal initiative. So that's where those four pillars came from. Discipline, confidence, mental toughness, personal initiative. Love that. Thank you for that super clear explanation. That was a wonderfully succinct, clear summary. Thank you, Dre. So follow up to that then, given the theme of this podcast is how would you connect each of those with flourishing? Flourishing you defined earlier as kind of a flow state when you're so immersed in something that nothing else sort of matters. When you've built up all of these areas, when you've really worked in your game and built a high level of discipline, confidence, mental toughness, and personal initiative, would you argue that someone there is in a really good position to be flourishing? Absolutely. As long as, and this is, it, it doesn't, it's not just those things because they have to choose the right vehicle, right? So let's say I applied all this stuff to playing tennis, right? Maybe I wouldn't have made it, right? Or I tried to be a wrestler and my body's not shaped for that. So you have to apply it to the right vehicle. You have to have the right process. You might need the right support. Maybe you need some training and some help from somebody who knows some things that you don't know. So it's not like I did all of this just by myself in a vacuum. I had to get information from other people, insights from other people, my peers who are also players who I can learn and borrow things from, reading books. I read Robert Kiyosaki, Tim Ferriss. I took a lot from both of those guys from Rich Dad, Poor Dad and uh, 4-Hour Workweek, both of those books. 
to apply to what I ended up doing business-wise as I learned more. Yeah. And you no, know, just marketing, learning how to sell. All the sales books that I read, my little dabbling in network marketing led me to thinking more like an entrepreneur and a salesperson. So when I got out of college and I was trying to make it to the pros and nobody was calling me, I figured I got to call them. Right. So that little experience I got in network marketing put me in a sales mindset, because if I didn't have that, there's no way I would have made it as a pro basketball player. My talent alone wasn't enough. I had a baseline level, but it wasn't enough to get the phone ringing. I had the ring phones. You get what I'm saying? So there was little pieces that I took from everywhere that allowed that. And to answer your question here is, yes, people can flourish if they have discipline, confidence, mental toughness, personal initiative, but it has to be applied to the right vehicle. And there's a whole lot of little pieces that kind of like, you remember Steve Jobs' commencement speech at Stanford? You've seen that video where he talks about- Love it. Use it in so many talks. It's great. Right. So <laughs> when he, you put it all together looking backwards, right? So yeah. looking backwards, now that I'm talking about it, there's so many little pieces that had I had- not had those pieces, even with these elements, it would not have worked out. So everything fits into it. It's not just those four, yeah. but those four are the pillars. They're the baselines of it. Hi, friends. Nick here with just a brief interlude to share with you an update on one of our newest partnerships with the Anti-Fragile Academy. Throughout John and I's conversations with many, if not most of our guests, one thing has been made really clear. In order for people to flourish, thrive, experience the good life, they need to develop the capacity to not only navigate and endure, but ideally grow from the bad, grow from unpleasant experiences. That's why we're thrilled to be partnering with our newest sponsor, the Anti-Fragile Academy, an organization that I co-founded with Dr. Adam Wright, Director of Mental Performance, for the Washington Nationals. At the Anti-Fragile Academy, we work with adolescent athletes, executives, and educators to help them understand some of the science, not just of optimal performance, but of well-being and anti-fragility. The ability not only to endure and bounce back from unpleasantness, but to actually come back stronger, to grow from it. Between Adam and I, we've worked with Fortune 100 companies, Inc. 300 executives, Division I programs, and elite professional athletes and Olympians from all over the world. To find out more about how you can leverage anti-fragility training, check out our website at theantifragileacademy.com. This is a great topic to go down. And so just you brought it up. Let's give a 30 second kind of summary of the Jobs commencement speech, Stanford 2005. Basically, he says, here's these experiences I had throughout my life, right? I didn't know that they were going to connect, but later on in life, they did connect, right? And so what was his point? He had to spend part of his life collecting the dots that would eventually connect. So my question is, right, how do you go about collecting the right dots? in your estimation? That's a great question. I think the answer is you don't know they're the right dots till later. Yeah, right? that's the hard part, <laughs> right? Know, yeah, right. Yeah, right. So, and what I tell people in my audiences all the time is that you don't know whether the decision that you made is the right one or not until you get to the end of the story, right? We don't know until you get to the end of the story what were the pieces that made the most impact because in addition to these things that I mentioned that helped me along the way, there's a bunch of things I did that did nothing, right? Or let's not say they did nothing, but they did not really move the needle. But I needed to go through those experiences to get to the ones that did move the needle. So there's all these different pieces that you never know. And who knows? Look, a year from now, I may 
be immersed in an opportunity for what something that I'm looking back now 10 years ago did quote unquote nothing. It might be the exact thing I need to take advantage of that next opportunity. So you never know. The pieces always are, they're always coming together in different ways and you never know how it's going to work out. And the thing is for all of us is that we have to, we want to point ourselves in the right direction. Directionally, we want to go where we want to go, but you never know what exact thing is going to be the one thing that moves somebody to take that action. What's going to be the big domino that knocks over all the other dominoes? If we could just program it and we knew exactly what it was, there'd be no need for human beings, right? AI would take over everything. We got to kind of go through the experiences to figure it out. So, I mean, on that then, what's your strategy for figuring out what to most focus on and what to say no to? You know, you mentioned Tim Ferriss there, and I was thinking as as you were speaking to the points you're making earlier about Tim Ferriss and sort of kind of principles he follows, like, you know, the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule and so on, and also how his career developed through blogging and writing very successful blogs and so on, and how your career similarly has done exceptionally well through YouTubing, amongst other things. So you're doing so many things, you've done so many things. What's your method for figuring out where to best focus your energy and attention? Great What's question. Yeah, knowing the vehicle. Given what you've said there about not knowing where things are going to land, yeah. how do you then keep enough doors open whilst not keeping too many doors open and focusing your energy properly? That's a great question. So what I do is I use what they call the big domino. And the big domino is this concept from a guy named Russell Brunson. Y'all familiar with him? Yeah. ClickFunnels guy? Okay. So I don't know if he made it up, but he popularized it in my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But That's, I would have described about, him that way too. ClickFunnels guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he gathers, he's kind of like the gatherer of right. all these great principles and then he puts them out there and he always gives credit to other people, unlike some other influences out there. But what Russell talks about is the big domino is that when you're trying to sell something, you need to know what's the one thing that you need the prospect to agree with or understand or accept in order for them to say yes and buy. Because if you're selling something, for example, and I'll tie this all in, you're selling something, for example, your product might have 18 features, but are they buying based on all 18 features? No, they're usually buying because of maybe two or three things. So what is that big domino? So for me, I always ask myself, what's the big domino for me? So if my big domino is, let's say in business, my big domino is I want to make more money, then I got to ask myself, what's the big domino that's going to help me make more money? Do I want to try to go for volume, a really low price product and try to sell as many people as possible? Or do I want to just go for the the big chunks? Let me just get a, a high ticket product, have fewer customers. And let me just, if I only get two customers a month, that'll be enough to blow away what I did the previous year. So it's figuring out what that big domino is. So if it's, hey, I want to make sure I make the most of my time. Like I have a child who's less than a year old. So either you have kids. No. No kids? Okay. Well, your first year with a kid, you don't sleep, right? Because yeah. the kid's always waking up in the middle yeah. of the night and all that stuff. So, And you sleep in the bed with us. So I know that I had to make the most of my time during the day because my energy might not be the same as it was before I had a kid because I'm not getting a full night of uninterrupted sleep. So now I'm figuring out how do I make the most of my time? So that's the big domino I'm going to focus on there. All right. Who's the person who's talking about time? Now, there may be a thousand people talking about time. I'm going to look around. I may go through all of their materials, not a thousand of them, but a lot of different people's material. And I'll take a piece from this person, a piece from them, a piece from them, and I'll put it all together and figure out what makes the most sense for me to work. So the answer to your question here is what is the big domino right now? And the biggest challenge for a lot of people in the world, period, especially today, because we have these things right here that distract us all day if we allow them to, is clarity. Clarity supports focus. And focus is the number one trait that I've found and I've heard and found for people who are the most successful is that they are just on whatever it is that they are using to create their success. 
And when people's focus is fragmented or there is no focus, they're distracted, then they're all over the place where you could be highly productive, but you're not being effective. And those are two different things. Absolutely. And for listeners there, Dre was holding up his phone, showing that you probably mm-hmm. yeah. already guessed yeah. that. Yeah. And that connects with the theme of many episodes we've had, particularly one of the most recent ones. We interviewed Gloria Mark, who recently published a book on attention, attention span, and talking about how much attention spans have decreased in recent decades and how focus is so important for, for flourishing nowadays. Right. Awesome. I've got a stack of questions I want to keep asking, but Nick, I've been talking for quite a while. I think well, no, I, like, I'm happy with where we're going. I've got lots of like how-to questions, but I just, I just before we move to the how-to piece a little bit more and let's like double click on some of the principles, because I think there's a lot of juice to be had there from the squeeze. You made a comment earlier, I think, about the right vehicle, but you're also describing an ecosystem, right, in an environment. You said it quickly. We moved on to kind of another topic, but I think it's worth just stamping that nothing good or bad for that matter happens in a vacuum, like you said, right? And that these outside-in influences are really important. Because when you talk about your principles, so so it's discipline and it's confidence and it's mental toughness, and those can sound like me things, right, that we have control over, but they're tremendously influenced by the people we surround ourselves with and the environment, right? So I, I would love to, at some point, keep going down that road and hear some of your, maybe the time is now, hear some of your thoughts on how do you go about that strategically to make sure you are in the right environment, not just the vehicle, but the people and the ecosystem? That's a great question. It's a, a deep question. We could have a whole conversation yeah, just on yeah. that alone. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So sure. it's so I always tell people that structure creates discipline and discipline creates confidence. And when you have discipline and confidence, you need mental toughness to protect them. It's kind of like the bodyguard and the personal initiative puts it all together, makes it all, puts it all into action, turns that potential energy kinetic. So it starts with having the structure in place. So what are the pieces that are most conducive to you doing what you want to do. So if you want to be a boxer, for example, you probably should go to a boxing gym instead of a yoga studio, right? So what are the places, who are the people in the places that can best support the outcome that you wish to achieve? If you're trying to, for example, if you want to sell high ticket products, then you probably got to find some high ticket customers. Knowing what the goal is, you have to deconstruct from the goal what pieces need to be in place for this to happen? So what I, the framework I give people is what needs to be true? What would need to be true in order for this to happen and then for this to happen and then for this to happen and then for this to happen? And the easiest way to figure that out is to get with somebody who already knows how to do it, who are, who's already <laughs> made it true. That's sure. the simplest way to do it. And this is why we have the consulting industry is why we have coaching and speakers and books and authors and conferences. Sure. The reason those things exist is because those people have already seen what you're trying to see. And the simplest and fastest way to get to an outcome is to get with people who have already achieved that outcome. And they can just give you the game and tell you exactly what it is that you need to do. It may not be comfortable or easy for you or convenient for you, because if it was, you probably already would have did it. But that's the whole point. And this is the reason why the most successful people step out of their comfort zones. Super quick. I want you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that I just think that's so important because people here like surround yourself with people that help you achieve the goal or reach that level of clarity, whatever it might be. But you just highlighted something really important, which that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to make you feel good all the time. Oh, absolutely. And they're not supposed to. I mean, that's the whole point. And I come from the sports world. So in the sports world, we have coaches and trainers. And the whole point of the coach or trainer, one of my coaches in college said, my job here, he said this to the team at the beginning of the season, my job is to make you uncomfortable every day. That's my job. Right. Because the more uncomfortable I make you in practice, the better you'll play, the more easier it will be in the game. 
That's the whole point. And that's what a trainer is supposed to do is to make you uncomfortable and push you outside of what you're used to doing. Because right. if all the coach is going to do is have you do what you're used to doing, well, why do you need the coach? You don't need them. That's a friend. Right? Yeah. All right. So that's not the same as coaching. So that's the whole point. The challenge is a lot of people don't want to be pushed outside of their comfort zone. So they will resist anything that they know is going to do that. But the you know that one percent of people they practice you know the slight edge. I'm sure y'all familiar with that book. They practice the slight edge, which is getting into the space where they know is going to be uncomfortable, but they deal with it anyway. And that's why only a small percentage of people become you no know, quote unquote successful. Distress tolerance. Yeah. Well, I was just going to add a comment here in your chapter on, and I mean throughout your book, there's good stories of coaches and your experiences, but particularly in your chapter on mental toughness and work on your game, where you talk about your experience with Gillian. Your coach Gillian, or Gillian or Gilliam? Gilliam. Yeah, yeah. Gilliam, he kicked me off the me. team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you very openly talk about this, but that sounds yeah. like a pretty transformational experience for you in your in your own life trajectory, right? Yes, absolutely. And it, it's funny because had that so Gilliam was he played in the NBA. He had played like 13 years in the NBA. And then his his first head coaching job was at my school. And he replaced the coach who had actually recruited me to that school. So anybody who knows anything about college sports, when you play at a college, especially these days now with the, the transfers, it's so, it's so easy to transfer now. Back in the day, 10, 20 years ago, if you were at a college, first of all, a coach re- usually recruits the players. An assistant coach or a head coach recruits each player. So it's kind of like your pet players are the guys you recruited. Now, when a new coach comes in, it's kind of like a new CEO coming into a, a Fortune 500 company is that a lot of people lose their jobs, not because you are incapable, but because the new head person wants to bring in their people. Yep. Right? So when this Gilliam, I was not one of his people. Right. I was one of the old guys people and the old guy was mad that he lost his job. So the new guy didn't like any of the old guys people. It's kind of like uh, you watch National Geographic when the lion takes over the pride. He kills all the cubs from the old lion. Right. So that's kind of how it goes. So Gilliam. He came in and I was lucky enough to actually make the roster, but then I ended up getting kicked off the team. And the whole thing is, had that not happened, my story wouldn't be as as glorious as it turned out. Because the fact that I got kicked off the team in college at a D3 and then still play pro kind of makes me look like more of a superhero, right? So it's kind of funny that it worked out that way. But that situation with Gilliam was, had I, someone like me existed back then, I probably would have stayed on the team because I would have been able to get that real talk conversation from somebody who should have said to me what I say to athletes these days, which is, uh, you're not the boss. You're on the team. You're a player on the team. You are a, you're basically a worker and he's the boss. So if you don't like what the boss says, you're not going to be on the team. If you want to be on the team, which I, I probably should have stayed on the team. I mean, the situation ended up the same for me anyway, but I should have stayed on the team. But had somebody been able to talk some sense into me, then I wouldn't have had my ego out in front and I would have thought more logically and strategically in that situation and just basically submitted to his order and his rule, even though I didn't think he knew what he was doing. I still to this day don't think he knew what he was doing, but he was in charge. And that's just how it works. When you work with the boss is the boss, right? You don't have to agree with the boss, but you got to listen to the boss. This is an interesting situation or scenario. And I have a, a follow-up question for you because you, you hear mental toughness, right? And I do a lot of work in sort of this anti-fragility space, right? We talk a lot about resilience, mental toughness, resilience, anti-fragility. They can easy, easily sound like just suck it up and deal with it whatever comes your way, right? And I, that's not how you're talking about it. That's not how we talk about it. But it, I think it can easily be confused as that. With mental toughness, right, as one of the principles, 
And it's not just suck it up and deal with everything, right? It is be tough and be distress tolerant. I guess the simple question is, and it sounds like you kind of lived it, when do you grit and when do you quit? How do you know where that line is? Excellent question. So one of the things that I talk about, I don't know if it's in that book, Work On Your Game, but I talk about when to walk away in strength. And there's a difference between quitting and walking away in strength. And the walking away in strength is when you, for example, before I played basketball, I played baseball. And I played baseball for several years. My dad was actually a youth baseball coach. Actually, he still coaches youth baseball to this day. And he's like 60 something years old. And I played baseball for all those years. But I had to come to the realization by the time I was in my early teens that my ceiling in baseball was mediocrity. The best I would have been was a mediocre. Maybe I would have made the high school team and sat the bench. Maybe. That's as good as I could have been in baseball. And I had to come to that realization and decide, okay, do I want to be a mediocre high school baseball player or do I want to try something else? And that's when I walked away from baseball in strength because I did everything I I gave what I could have given to baseball. If I kept practicing, the best I would have been was mediocre. And I decided to go try basketball and I had to start at the bottom and I had to work my way up. But I had to pick the right vehicle. Basketball ended up being a much better vehicle for me because of my my physical makeup, my build, because of the opportunities available to me, the resources available to me. It's hard to practice baseball by yourself, right? You can practice basketball by yourself, though. So I picked the right vehicle that made the most sense for me. So when it comes to mental toughness, it's not just your ability to, yeah, accept the what, what we call the shit sandwich is what I tell people is that everybody has to eat one. It's just a matter of which flavor you want to eat. But it's also knowing that even though you had a great game yesterday, that has nothing to do with today. Now, you had 30 points in the last game. What does it have to do with? It has nothing to do with this game. Those points don't carry over. So you have to clean your mental slate from what happened in the past and move on to the new thing. That's one part of it. And then as far as what you were saying there, Nick, is knowing that when you've given what you could give or what you have chosen to give, let's put it that way, to a situation and you've gotten everything you could get out of it as far as relative to what you've given, is it time to move on? Sometimes you just got to move on to a different opportunity. And we there are myriad stories of business people, entrepreneurs who how many businesses did they try before they found the one that hit, before they found the one that popped off? I mean, Steve Jobs, he started Apple, got kicked out of his own company, right? Went and did a whole bunch of other things. Pixar came back and he had a different vision. And then he turned Apple into what Apple became. I mean, Twitter started out as something different than what it is. YouTube started out as something different. Instagram started out as something different. Sure. So it's not just grit and stay on something forever and never quit and quitters never win and winners never quit. It sounds good, but that's not true. Smart people know when to quit. And you don't just stick to something just because you started it. It's interesting, too, what I think I heard from that answer. Also, coming back to the question, like, how do you find the right vehicle? I think I heard, like, start with strengths. Where are your points of leverage naturally, right? So you're starting halfway up the hill, right? That's right. And think about something like basketball. You know, I'm, I'm 6'4", I'm tall, I'm long, I can run, I can I can jump, I got long arms. You know, I'm black. Black guy's supposed to be good at basketball. Right? So, <laughs> a- you, you were not made to be a shortstop. I know that. So. Right, exactly. I wasn't made to be a, a wrestler, right? That yeah. doesn't, make, doesn't make sense for my body type. And you think of somebody like, uh, you know, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, right? They had access to computers at really young ages. Like that was just serendipitous. But then they took mm-hmm. advantage of that, right? So you had to take advantage of 
the resources available to you, whether those are internal resources or external resources. And hopefully, you know, we get exposed to as many resources as possible so that you know, someone's guiding us and showing us, hey, look at this resource you have. And sometimes we got to figure it out for ourselves. But either way, you know, you're responsible for what you do with this life, this opportunity you have. Yeah. So adaptability sounds like that's right. Grit plus adaptability plus a number of other things is, is so important to the, the kind of the, the path where you're recommending. And key to all this, Trey, as well as our mental game. I mean, a lot of this comes down to our mental game, right? You talk a lot about this in your book, Work on Your Game. You recommend some practices. So why is building our mental game so important for all these areas you've mentioned, creative success, happiness, fulfillment of potential, perhaps also flourishing? Discipline, yeah. Yeah, well, the mental game is the foundation. The mental game is the foundation of all success, is the foundation of all failure. I, I tell my audience that all the time. Someone is successful the foundation of it is not what you can see with your eyes is something is what's going on in between your ears. And if someone is not successful by whatever person's measure, the measure of the observer, it's something that's going on in between your ears that is causing that. That's the root because thoughts lead to words, words to actions, actions to habits, habits to character. So it all starts in our minds. It starts with the way that we think and the human brain is the most powerful tool known to man. So Everything starts with the way that we are thinking. This is why, you know, the most successful personal development book in history is what? Think and Grow Rich, right? Think. It starts with the way that we think. And then the actions follow from that. So that's why I focus so much on the mental game. And it's also the reason why it's such a big deal and is not so obvious to everybody is that the things, uh, I think it was Earl Nightingale who said this, that the most valuable tools that we have available to us are the stuff that comes for free, right? Like our mindset and our brains. And we don't value it because we got it for free. And it's also harder to value and focus on the mental game because you can't see it. So you can see somebody's muscles. You can see you go to the gym, you can see someone has big muscles that they got a six pack or they're in great shape and they can run fast and jump high. But you don't know how much mental toughness they have because you can see someone who has big muscles. I don't know if either you follow combat sports or anything like that. Somebody can have big muscles and look great physically or any sport. They can look great physically. And then you put them in the game. They can't do anything because they don't have any mental toughness. They don't have it up here. It's funny. I noticed, I feel like I noticed the opposite with like UFC and combat sports as well. To your point, you know, a lot of times you look at these generally, I'm, you know, if I'm watching, I'm watching men fight and you're looking at me like, that's a peak athlete. Like that's one of the most dangerous men in the world, just based on their body type and shape and whatnot. But they have right, a mentality that's just in a different planet. That's right. And they, and it's sometimes the guys who don't even look that physically imposing, they end right. up being the best fighters. Like look right. at the, look at Jokic from the NBA. They just want to <laughs> Example. <laughs> right. He has no muscle definition whatsoever, right? <laughs> but then you take the guy with all the muscles and he looks like he just stepped out of a photo shoot and he can't play. Yeah. Right. So you never know. It's it's what's going on up here that matters the most. What's the starting point for like playing with or developing what's up here? Right. You know, we've got the principles, mental toughness, discipline, right, confidence. Those are all, I think, mental pieces, top-down pieces. Where do you begin, right? Is it is it self-talk? Is it just self-care more generally? Are there specific skills that you recommend people start with? Where I would start is just getting into personal development. And that's something that a lot of young people will ask me, Dre, what's one thing you would tell your you know, younger self, 20 years ago self? And number one is I would get into personal development sooner. And personal development is simply any material that you're consuming on a consistent basis that is designed to make you a more valuable individual. So this show alone, 
You just listen to every episode of the show. That's personal development. All right. You go to a, a seminar. That's personal development. You go to the library, check out some books, right, go on YouTube. And there's a lot of different things you look at on YouTube, but there's some material on there that can be personal development. So it's material that you take in voluntarily that is designed to make you a smarter, more valuable, higher level contributing member of society. So that's where you can start with development. And there's so much material out there that is free of charge. And then there's material that you can invest in conferences, coaches, masterminds, events, things like that. So that's where I would start as far as developing the mind mentally. And then the material that you take in actually taking time to marinate on it and think about what does this actually mean for me? What is this going to do for me? Taking notes on the stuff that you're consuming, writing it down, uh, reminding yourself on a daily basis. Uh, do you have goals written down? Do you have it written down? What type of person you need to be in life? All of those things. I know I talk about that in the book. I talk about the be, do, have principle. All, right? All of those things. That's the personal development. That's where I would start when it comes to developing this mindset. Right. This is great, Trey. This is fascinating. So personal development is anything you voluntarily choose to engage in that develops your character in whatever way it might be. I'm just trying to connect that with these four key principles and work in your game. Maybe that intersects with all of them, but is that within personal initiative or is it something that intersects across the board? I think it goes across the board because what I tell people when it comes to just life period, the most important question is who do I need to be? A lot of people focus on the goals. Uh, what do I want to get? The outcomes. So I want to have this much money. I want to have this kind of car. I want to travel the world. I want to whatever outcomes people want. Most people are pretty good on coming up with those, even if it's just wishful thinking. And then it's next level of people are people who understand you can't get something for nothing. So what do I need to do? So these are the hard workers. These are the people who spend their lives working, working, working. And we all can understand that you look around in life. How many people do you know or see who are always working and they work hard? They're not BSing. They are really working hard, yet they never get close to achieving the goals that they have, even though they're always working. So that alone, by deductive reasoning, tells us the hard work is not the key to success because there are a bunch of hard workers who are successful, but there's a bunch of hard workers who are not successful. So the CEO works hard, but the maintenance guy works hard, too. But the CEO makes 100 times more money. So what's the difference? They both work hard and they both have goals. The difference is, who are you being? Being is about your posture, it's about your aura, it's about your energy, it's about, the, it's about who you see when you look in the mirror. Because who you see when you look in the mirror determines if you go for the maintenance man job or you go for the CEO job. That leads to your actions. The being leads to the doing and the doing leads to the having. So the being is the most important part. And that's the part that a lot of people, first of all, they're not aware of it. They're completely not even conscious of it. And this is why a lot of people don't do it. But even when they are conscious of it, it's hard for people to get a grasp of what to do with it because it's intangible. You can't see it. You can't hold it in your hand. See, I can count your actions. I can see how many pull-ups you did. I can see that you go to work every single day. I can see that you ran eight miles instead of six miles. We can measure that and we can look at it with our eyes. But the being part is the part that you can't touch. And that's the part that flummoxes so many people or many people just are completely unaware of because they can't touch it. And therefore, they never kind of get a grip or control of it. And therefore, they can't do anything about it. So they default to the only thing they know, which is this is my goal. Let me work hard. This is my goal. Let me work hard. And they go through their entire life in this cycle and they never get to their outcome, even though they worked hard. It brings up interesting questions to me about what we define as success as well, because take the maintenance guy or the CEO, let's juxtapose those, right? If you define success as money, right? And like financial security, which, you know, you look at different models, some would argue that might be part of it, but there's certainly a lot of debate around there. 
then it, it maybe it seems obvious, right? But if if you bring up some of these other principles and other things you mentioned, I think in your work, purpose, meaning, relationships, community, mindset, discipline, distress tolerance, you might argue the maintenance guys got it better, depending on the work-life balance synergy piece, right? So do your clients come to you or people you work with or give talks to with a particular mindset around success generally, or is that something you work with them on as well? And if so, how do you help them think about success for them? Great question. So a few things there. So First of all, I think people get to define their own success, what's successful for them. So when I uh, juxtapose the maintenance man to the CEO, I'm using money as the the barometer. Sure. Yeah. In, in Western society, that's the way we, we look at a lot of things as as money, right? Yeah. That's the measuring stick that a lot of people use. But yeah, it doesn't mean the maintenance man is a failure. Uh, if that's what he wants and that he's he's good with that and he's happy and he's taking care of himself and you know, whatever it is that he's doing, that's completely fine. But a lot of, especially in the Western world, we're measuring it by resources, uh, tangible resources. And as far as the people who come to me, usually they're looking for some form of, often they're looking for some form of discipline. They may not say it in so many words, but it's, I got to stop procrastinating. I got to be more consistent. I want to get more things done. I have these goals. I know what I need to do. I just need to do it, which is usually not even true because the things they are doing, even if they did them, wouldn't get them to their outcomes, but they don't know what they don't know. So that's sure. usually what I'm helping people with. But usually it's some form of, I need to execute on a more consistent basis. And I like the fact that you're a person who doesn't mince words with people, Dre. So I think you can help me get there. That's usually what they're trying to say, even if they don't say it in so many words. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And it, it's worth mentioning also because you mentioned meaning, purpose, and the different roles in life people play. In one of our early episodes with Emily Esfahani Smith, she talks about how storytelling is important for a person to construct meaning in her life. And she gives the example of a, a hospital cleaner who found, one because she interviews various people, speaks various people about their jobs and how, in what ways they find them meaningful. She, she meets a hospital cleaner who describes the narrative of her job as I'm helping unhealthy people or people who are sick get better or recover. That's how she sees her work. Whereas, of course, there could be a whole other way that she would see her work, which would you know, give her that same degree of meaning. So, yeah, it's worth thinking about that, of course, with these different roles in life. Well, I know you were going to take us towards discipline and I want to go down that road, but I, there's probably a tie in here, which is which is interesting. So, Dre, I'm curious, do you feel like this idea of meaning, purpose, contribution, connection to something kind of beyond oneself do you think that's a facilitator of discipline? Do you think that's a facilitator of mental toughness? Like, do you, you know, you mentioned you have a, it sounds like a young son. Yeah. I would wager you'd said it like your levels of discipline have changed. Cause it's, I'm like, this is a rock time with my son is a rock. It's not moving anymore. Right. And so as a consequence, I w not only have to be, but I kind of want to be more disciplined in other areas of my life so I can make it all happen. Do you think there's a, a causal connection between those? I do. I think that when you have, first of all, as I said earlier, structure creates discipline. So when you put something that can't be moved into a system, it actually makes it easier for people to make decisions because now they have less paradox of choice. Because you don't have as many choices because you have this hard thing that's right there stuck in place that you can't move. So that's one part that makes it easier because of clarity. Clarity leads to focus and the focus to that structure, structure to the discipline and outcomes. And the other thing is when someone has that meaning and someone has a, a true purpose in life, 
it makes it a lot easier for them to make decisions. They think a lot more clearly. They make decisions a lot more quickly and they execute more. They execute more consistently and swiftly simply because they have a reason. A lot of times people are there are a lot of people who are floating through life aimlessly on Napoleon Hill. Either you read the book Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Mm -hmm. Hill. Mm-mm. You haven't read that one? Oh, no. Man, it's an amazing book. Yeah. You got to look that one up. Say the title again. Outwitting the Devil. Okay. Outwitting so, the Devil. Yeah. So All you right. read Think and Grow Rich. You familiar with that one? Yeah. Okay. So he wrote that one in 1938, I believe, during the Depression. Now, he wrote Outwitting the Devil a few years after that, but he didn't put it out because in that book, he challenges the churches, he challenges the schools, he challenges the political system. He did, he was scared to put the book out because he felt like they would destroy him if he actually put these thoughts out there. So the book didn't actually come out till 2010. His family held on to it for almost 100 years. But in that book, he's having this uh, allegorical conversation with the devil, and he gets the devil to admit what is the number one tool you use to cause people to fail in life. And the devil says, my number one tool is to get people to drift, the habit of drifting. And drifting simply, it is how it sounds. It's basically having no aims, no goals, no clear direction. And you're basically going wherever, whatever direction the wind is blowing, that's where you end up. And there are a lot of people who go through life, they go through their entire lives just drifting. They never really have a clear purpose or framework for what they're doing and why they're doing it. So when you have that clear purpose, it breaks that habit of drifting and it gives you a true focus. And then you can do what you want to do and be who you want to be, which is what I believe the real definition of success. Well, that's, that's great. Thank you for Thank recommending you. that, Dre. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've just had a look for that. I see the 10th chapter of that is on self-discipline. And that is the key go. focus of your, well, that's a key focus of your work. And you've said that the main thing your clients come to you looking for is more discipline. I take it primarily self-discipline. Right. None in so many words, but yeah, that's what they need. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah, might not know it, what but you, <laughs> you're going right. to tell them. It's, yeah. what you, it's what you extract at least. And in working your game, you you write that the key to discipline is wanting something strongly enough that you're willing to follow a process and delay gratification to get it. Now, delayed gratification is an important principle in certain theories of flourishing. So, for example, in the, the Human Flourishing Program at Harvard's account of flourishing, they bring that in to their account of certain domains of, of flourishing, character and virtue. The ability to delay gratification is part of their measure of what it means to, to flourish. So what are some main strategies you recommend for our listeners to build and maintain high self-discipline? Some habits for building and maintaining self-discipline. Well, the first one is putting a structure in place. So this is, you can kind of call this a habit, but it's really an action step is having the structure in place that makes discipline easy. You see, one of the challenges with discipline is that everybody wants it, right? If you walk up to a random person on the street and say, hey, do you feel like you need to be more disciplined in any area of your life? Everybody will usually laugh and say, absolutely. Yeah, I need to be more disciplined. I need to go to the gym. I need to eat right. I need to spend more time with my wife. I need to you know, make sure I'm playing with my kids more often. I need to finish writing that book. I need to launch my podcast. Right? Everybody needs to be more disciplined at something, right? The challenge is, since everybody's aware of the concept of discipline, yet everybody feels like they're short on it, is that many people are going about it the wrong way. This is why many people feel like they need discipline, but they don't have it because they're going about it the wrong way. They're trying to force it. You cannot force discipline over a sustained period of time and actually get it. It doesn't work that way. So I just finished reading. Uh, I just read The New Psycho Cybernetics. Y'all familiar with that book by Maxwell mm-hmm. Maltz? Maxwell Maltz wrote this book probably back in the 60s or 70s called Psycho Cybernetics. And then Dan Kennedy, he's a, a marketing guy, 
little bit older guy. He wrote like the new version in conjunction with Maltz. They did a, a joint venture. So okay. in that book, Kennedy talks about he or he reemphasizes what Maltz said in the first version, which is no one can outperform their self-image over a sustained period of time. So if your self-image is I'm not disciplined in going to the gym, you can't just force yourself to start going to the gym consistently. It's not going to last. Uh, you might go for a week, but you're not going to keep going. What has happened is you have to change your self-image first. When the self-image changes, who you see when you look in the mirror, then the actions become easy. So if I say I'm an athlete and I will always be in athletic shape regardless of my professional athlete status, which is something that I do say to myself, what does that lead to? That leads to me working out every day because my self-image, my actions have to reflect my self-image. If I say, hey, I never work out because I hate working out and I hate going to the gym and no, I'm never in my ideal shape. If that's my self-image, you could put a gym in the building that I live in. There literally is a gym in the building that I live in. And you're going to have somebody, you're going to have out of shape people walking around in here. And the gym's free. All right? it's, part, it's part of what you pay to live here. So that's the self-image thing. So we all live out our self-images. Okay, so building the self-discipline. It's once you have the image in your mind, then you put the structure in place to make the image easy to create. So if my image is my discipline is I'm going to work out consistently. First of all, I got to have the self image that I'm a person who is in good shape and I take care of my body. Then I'm going to put the structure in place that makes that easy. So if that means I need to move somewhere and I'm close to a gym, if it means I need to go get a gym membership, it means I need to hire a trainer. If it means I need to go to the, the Nike store or Lululemon and buy some workout gear. I'm going to put the structure in place that makes it easy and replicatable for me to work out on a consistent basis that the discipline is the the end product. So what I try to help people understand, John, is that structure and self-image go into the top of the funnel. Discipline comes out of the bottom of the funnel. And a lot of people get that opposite. They think if I get really disciplined, then I'll be structured and I'll have the right self-image and no, I'll be consistent. It's the other way around. You put the structure in place. And you get the self-image in place, discipline comes out of the bottom of it. Discipline is a byproduct, it's not the catalyst. Love it. Love that. Love that. That's a nice, yeah. We're trying to Nick and I as we go through, we're trying to figure out what 90-second clip of this episode would be best. <laughs> you got a lot of them. There's another, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there's another one. That, there's another candidate. <laughs> so, so Dre, we could talk to you all day, man, but we gotta ask you one last question, a signature question. We ask all of our guests, we call it the flourishing question. What's the one lesson on flourishing you want our listeners to walk away with? And what is a practical step for putting that lesson into action? Hmm. Mindset's the foundation of all your success and is the foundation of your frustrations, is the foundation of your failures. So one thing, if you want to flourish, is really take some time, no computer, no phone, no music, and really focus on where do you need to be mentally in order to be in a flourishing state. And the easiest way to answer this question is to think to a time in your life when you were flourishing, or if right now you are flourishing, what are the elements that allow that to happen? Not made it happen, but allowed it to happen. Because when you're flourishing, you're not forcing it. It happens. So what elements allow that flourishing to happen? And then the question is, how can you recreate that situation to where it's happening on a consistent basis? Love it. Great stuff. Dre, as John said, Dre, we could talk to you all day. would love to have a whole nother hour with you, but we'll start to wrap here. Tell people where they can interact with you, find your content, get in touch with you. 
Sure. So I'm on all the social media platforms, all of them consistently. I post everywhere at least once a day. Probably most active on Instagram. Instagram is just my name at Dre Baldwin. I use the stories on there. So that's, that's probably where I'm the most active. I do send out a daily motivation text message. Can I share that with everybody? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So if you just send a text to my number, which is 305-384-6894, every day when that message comes out, you'll get a, a quick text. Have you focused sharp and on point to start the day? And place to work with me is at work on your game university. So work on your game university.com. That's where all my courses are trainings, coaching, et cetera. So I'm sure we'll have all that in the description. Yeah. Yeah. That. We'll so get in the show. Notes. Have to remember. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Yeah. But thank you it. very much. Yeah. Cool. We appreciate the time, man. Best of luck to you with your continued work and the, the awesome impact you're having. And, and thanks for sharing the conversation with us. Sure. And I appreciate you too, uh, Nick and John for sharing your platform and for the opportunity. Thank you so much, Dre. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Huge thanks to all of you for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, please share it with friends, family, colleagues, and be sure to leave us a five-star review. Uh, you can also find us on all social media platforms. Uh, we've got our own YouTube channel, and you can check out our website at flourishfmpodcast.com. We'd also love to hear from you. There's a survey in the show notes you can complete where you can complete any suggestions on guests you'd like to hear us interview or particular topics or themes you'd like to hear us talk about. We'd love to hear your feedback on that. So your feedback would be greatly appreciated if you could fill out that form. Until next time, thank you very much for joining us today. And keep putting in the work.